Baseball and umpire fans, and welcome back to another episode of The Leading Edge, where we talk with umpires about umpiring and look to cover topics on both sides of the plate. Joining us on this episode is an individual that's been to the Wendelstadt School of Umpiring, has worked for Baseball Canada National Championships, was the 2008 Baseball Alberta Junior Umpire of the Year, and in his spare time, watches reruns of Saved by the Bell. Topics we cover are getting into umpiring at the same time as his father what you might expect to see or do at professional umpire school, working for Baseball Canada National Championships, and his beef braised ribs recipe. So sit back, relax, get ready. It's coming! Hello, Baseball Umpire fans, and welcome back to another episode of The Leading Edge where we talk with umpires about umpiring and look to cover topics on both sides of the plate. It's been a little bit, but working on making it more frequent. Have some guests lined up in the coming weeks and months, so you know what? We're going to get there. Lots of big news since the last episode. What is that you say? Major League Baseball has ratified a new agreement, and we're going to get to see some baseball action this year. Really excited. April 7th, opening day. Going to see 162 games. And as always, like to send out a big shout out to Canadian and Regina, Saskatchewan's own Stu Shearwater. This will be his fifth year as a full-time umpire in Major League Baseball. He was hired full-time at the end of 2017, but has been in Major League Baseball since April 25th of 2014. So good luck, Stu. Look forward to watching you on TV and watching you strut your stuff. Let's bring the news a little bit back, make it local, national, you could say. Provinces are starting to let umpires know who will be attending the various Baseball Canada National Championships that occur between late July and the end of August. It's always a really exciting time of year if you're that umpire that is being selected. The thing is, you got a really long season ahead of you now. Get out, work hard, make every game count so that when you arrive at that Baseball Canada National Championship, you're ready to go and put your best stuff on the field. So to all those umpires who are selected to work a Baseball Canada National Championship, I want to say congratulations on your assignment. You've done your province, your communities, everybody that you work with proud. Work hard this season, go out there, have some fun, and make some lasting memories. Now I know that the episodes have been a little bit infrequent at times, but we're looking to ramp that up. So if you want to stay up to date with what's going on in the Leading Edge world, check us out on Facebook, Leading Edge Umpire Stories. Simple. Like, share us, get the word out. You know what? Get some momentum going again because I'm going to bring you some new content and I hope that you're going to like it. And since we're talking about Leading Edge Umpire Stories content, yes, I know you're listening to this episode, so you probably know where to find it. But in case you're interested, you can find it on Spotify, Apple iTunes Podcast, Google Podcast, TuneIn. And one of the coolest things you can go, hey, Alexa, can you play Leading Edge Umpire Stories, please? And it She does. My in-laws have one. So I did that one day and I was like, whoa, never thought my voice would just come in that quickly. But you can catch it there on Amazon and a couple other spots. You can find it. Of course, you can find it on Facebook, as mentioned. And you can also find it on YouTube. If you really want to find it, search it. Leading Edge Umpire Stories. And if you get there, could you share it on your social feeds and get the word out? Let's spread the word of great umpire stories that are available Anywhere that you can find your favorite podcasts. 
okay, there's probably a lot of other things that I could talk about, but you probably don't want to hear me. You're here for the stories. So without further ado, Leading Edge Umpire Stories and Entertainment is happy to have the 2008 Alberta Junior Umpire of the Year, an alumni of the Wendelstadt Umpire School, an individual that has worked four Baseball Canada National Championships, is a Baseball Canada umpire clinician, and an individual that has taken up the art of ventriloquism throughout the pandemic, Tyler Bourne. Tyler, welcome to The Leading Edge. Hi, Phil. Thanks for having me. Well, the pleasure's all mine, Tyler. Thanks for coming on. One of the first things we like to do here on The Leading Edge is we like to give the guest the opportunity to defend themselves as a baseball player because we all know that bad players make good umpires. Tyler, did you play baseball growing up? I did. I was a all-star in house league, if you want to call it. And I was told I run like a gazelle, but I could not read a fly ball if my life depended on it. Well, we know that participation ribbons are important today. So what position did you enjoy playing? Uh, I was either catcher or center field and even did a little pitching second base. Man, every position that you take has a great view of the strike zone. Yeah. Were you calling pitches there from center field? I tried. I don't know if I was better than the umpire or not, but depending on who you had, maybe. Well, every player's mind, they're always right. But let's talk about it. Chicks dig long ball. How were you at the stick? Decent. Draw my hands a lot, hit a lot of fly balls, but I could, towards the end of my career, I could mash a bit and hit a couple, a couple of big shots, and that's about about it. Not much of a baseball history as a player, but let's get into it. Umpiring, what brought you to the dark side? Uh, my dad told me I should get a job in umpiring. I, when I played when I was younger, I thought I was better than a lot of the umpires if I went and tried it, and sure enough, it turned out. I'm the only one left from when I started. How old were you when you started? Uh, I was 13. Tyler, can you elaborate on what you mean by you are the only one left? Uh, We had, uh, in Shirt Park, we had 20-some-odd kids umpiring, and none of them are still umpiring. Actually, the only person still umpiring was because my dad started with me that year. He's retired now, and Ray McCartney is his name. He's still umpiring, and he was one of the guys in charge that year. Two interesting things there that you said. First, you're the only one left umpiring. We've talked about it before, and I highly recommend this to anybody getting into umpiring or officiating any of any capacity, like anything. Bring a friend with you. Do you feel growing up, having that group start together really helped push you as an umpire? Yeah, like it was fun because you got to work with your friends, and then you also a little bit of friendly competition, seeing what, how far you could go and what levels you could work, and... Uh, by my first year umpiring just from that alone and working with my dad too I was working AAA. so looking back on it Tyler did you jump into umpiring right away and be like "Mm, I'm gonna umpire I'm gung-ho or did it kind of grow on you as you progressed it grew on me it took uh, my third year umpiring is when I kind of realized okay I think I actually want to keep doing this I was 16 at the time and started working some better baseball started working the Bantam AAA and it was uh it was just saw how much fun it actually was. So, and I actually even got to do a couple of midget AAA games that year on the bases and when they needed guys. And so, yeah, so it was just, I could feel the progression coming and yeah. So, and then the, the next year I was named uh junior umpire of the year for Alberta. So it really uh, kind of solidified and made me really want to just do it more and more. Legend status. 
I thank you. Now, something else you mentioned there, Tyler, you were getting better baseball. You were putting an effort in, and that was being acknowledged by getting a higher caliber game here and there. That's really important for assigners to know that people that are making efforts to get better, reward them, give them the carrot now and then. What's your opinion on that? I totally agree. And I think it's good if assigners can get guys like of the higher level guys to go down and work with the younger guys too. That's like, they look up, that's who they look up to. They see them teach their clinics. And so when you see uh, like a Corey Davis, when I'm 16 years old and he's coming down to work a Bantam game with me, like I was like that. It was just the coolest thing ever. Like he was fresh out of the world baseball classic when that had happened too. And it was his first Bantam game in probably 15 years and he had a blast and I had a blast and it was, I learned so much that just one game. Now I won't lie. It's always nice to hear those stories about people going down and giving back. It's important that senior officials understand that, that people do appreciate that and notice it. Yeah. And it's super easy because you're still taking a game. Even And I know people say that it's like those guys are then taking a game away from a younger guy, but not really in the sense that like, they're there to also mentor and it's like they're to help and it's they're just working just another game like at the end of the day now this is where i think assigners can be really crucial is that they see an older individual come down and work with a younger official give that younger official the higher game to to make up for it because one thing that's not often discussed enough is the pride that mentors have when their mentees excel or get better because from experience, seeing officials get better is one thing that will bring mentors. Exactly. Back. It's exactly what that is. I have a lot of questions about what we would expect from someone to come down and work at a lower level, but I don't think this is the time to ask them. So I'm going to move on to something else that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. You started umpiring with your father. Yes. Just hearing about that, that sounds so cool. It's just an experience that you can't really replicate. What was it like? Oh, he told me I should like get into try on said I want to try umpiring and he was like, Well he's like I was like, Well, why don't you come join me? So he took the clinic too and lo and behold we started umpiring games that uh that year. So we would get assigned outs every so often to each other or go with each other and other times he would go work other games and I would go work other games and and it was just yeah, it was always a blast, like it was having uh, having games with him. A great bonding experience. Oh yeah, and it definitely brought us closer together. So, and as a father now, I can just envision what it would be like to work with my kid. Maybe someday, if this is something they want to do, and if it's not, well, whatever. But I really do think it's so cool, even coming back to bringing a friend out. Yeah, associations, assigners, call one, you get two. It's it's the best of both worlds. Yeah, it's exactly it, and. When I was running the umpires in Shirt Park for a few years there, we uh we had a group we had a few groups of friends that were together. So there was one group I remember in particular. They had six, there's five or six of them that were, and we put them together. And they would they would there's no problem for them to go out and work a day together, and because they're all with, well, hanging out with their friends, and it just made assigning easier, and it made their job easier, and they were enjoying themselves, and they were I think they actually realized like oh this is actually a lot of fun. And it definitely helped just having your friend out there. And No question. Yeah. And I'm going to name drop a good friend of mine. You know him too, named Jeremy Nash. We were at the hip. They called me, they got him, and vice versa. And I'm 35 years old today, and that's 20 years ago, but it's definitely the highlight of my teenage years. 
umpiring with my friends. Yeah. Now I'm under the impression you've made some lifelong friends through officiating. Share with us your story. Oh, it's been great. Like I got married a year and a half ago and oh, sorry to hear about that. <laughs> and I had uh, uh, Jeff Chipley. He was even in my wedding party. So make really good friends. We, uh, we also get out, we get out for beers with the guys and go play golf and with Brandon and with Graham and Devin and a few other guys too. We just hang out and we're, it's we're when we go we do games together we're where are we going for beers after where are we going for dinner like it's not just about the game anymore it's about hanging out with your friend and just having a good time and working hard there's no question the family and the camaraderie of umpiring and officiating is probably as close to 100 percent of the reason why i do it the game was here before i got here and it's going to be here after i leave but the camaraderie and the family along the way is what i love yeah, I'd agree. My wife always asks, why do I umpire? And I'm like, I just can't explain it. Like, it's just something about going to the park with the boys and just having a good time and f- for on a Saturday afternoon. And she's just, I don't know why you do this. I don't know why you do this. <laughs> oh, and, and, and guilty because you make a couple dollars to pay for some of that fun later, right? Yeah. And I actually uh, had a game last year where uh, we got an e-transfer and my wife had the money gone before I was even done the game. (laughs) Well, that sounds like a wife move for sure. No checks. Just give me straight cash. Now, Tyler, before my wife hears about all my secrets, let's move on. You mentioned that it wasn't until you were about 16 that you started taking umpiring seriously. And that continued for a few years because you have one thing that a lot of people don't have. Mm -hmm. You've been to professional umpire school. What? really drove you to go there and when did you go and care to share with us some of your experiences so when i was 17 i was at a baseball alberta meeting and it was in the fall and uh a female umpire we had by the name of chiffon she had gone to or was going to jim evans school and she, she was telling me all about that and so I was waiting until we got to super clinic that following winter to hear all about it. And she got me really kind of piqued my interest. And so I started searching online. I found Jim Evans. I found Wendelstadt. And I was just like really kind of interested by it all. And it's like, oh, this would be a really cool experience. And then fast forward, we get to super clinic and she shared the stories about what every day was like and all that. And I'm like, that actually sounds like a lot of fun. And it sounds like I could really do like really do something with that. And so, and then a couple months later, I was at, uh, out in St. Albert working a tournament and Matt Lowndes from BC was in Edmonton area working that summer. And he had just come back from pro camp too. And so we were, uh, I was chatting with him too about it all. And he was telling me all about going to school and I was definitely interested for sure. So after that, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go. And that was when I was 17. And then fast forward to 2013, and I went to the Wendelstead Umpire School. How old were you when you went? I was 21. 21. Just ready and, to have some fun. Yeah, and had no clue what to expect or what to get, what I was getting myself into. And I think the first shocking moment was I left my winter jacket uh, on when my parents dropped me off at the airport and I had to take it to Florida with me because they drove off and I wasn't calling them back. And so I shoved that in my bag. And so I was the Canadian guy there with a big winter jacket in Daytona Beach, Florida. <laughs> How did you show that you don't fit in right off the get-go? 
Yeah. And I remember I got, I got off the plane. I took about three or four, I think it was three flights to get into Daytona that day. It was about 12 or 14 hours. And because of my excitement, I went to bed on the Friday night at like, at like 11 or 12 or whatever. And I didn't go back to sleep till Sunday night because I stayed up the whole night leading into going to going away the next day. And by the time, yeah, I made to bed, it was about midnight Sunday night going into Monday morning. And oh, sounds rough. It yeah, it was pretty long. I was there a couple days early, which was really helpful. And uh, I get there and I get off the plane and get into a cab and take me to the hotel. And the cab driver warns me, he goes, there's a lot of people off their meds. So just be careful who you talk to. <laughs> so Welcome I woke to up Florida. Yeah, <laughs> I woke up the next morning and I went to uh, I went for a walk around town and I had this like old lady. Oh, hey, how's it going? And it's like, oh, hey. And you're like, don't know if you should be scared or if you should just hey <laughs> back if people are really nice. And so there's a little a little bit different of a culture there and not knowing what fully to expect, I guess. But it was overall a good time for the first couple of days when I didn't know anybody and getting ready for school. We're not in Kansas anymore. Nope. So where is Wendelstad Umpire School? Uh, it's in, well, I guess technically it's in Ormond Beach, Florida, which is next door to Daytona Beach. It's about a three or four minute drive past the biker bars to get to get to the facility from the hotel. How far from the airport? How much roughly of a cab ride for anybody that would ever be considering going? 10, 15 minutes, probably. Of course, being Canadian, yeah. you didn't have the benefit of dealing with color-coded money, so you're dealing with the greenback. Yeah, I was definitely conscious of that at first. And because at one point I was at McDonald's and I flipped them a 50 for a $5 meal. And I was like, oh, wait, I've got something smaller. <laughs> take it back, take it back. And you had to prepare for what, six weeks, is it? Five weeks. Five weeks. Yeah. Looking back on that whole experience, what's a memory that really sticks out for you the most? Seeing like the guys I went to school with that ended up in the pros and seeing them work their way through. And one guy I'm still in contact with, he's, uh, He's in double A. He just worked. Uh, he actually just worked the uh, futures game and the uh, home run derby at the all-star break last year. And so that was Michael Rains is his name. Michael yeah. Rains. Keep it. Keep an eye out for that guy. Yeah, he's pretty rock solid. Uh, I believe he was a crew chief actually this past summer. And uh, yeah, and best known at umpire school for everybody singing Michael Rains, Michael Rains instead of purple Rains. That was the whole time. You got to have a trademark, right? Oh, yeah. Like the leading edge where you talk with umpires about umpiring and look to cover topics on both sides of the plate. You need a jingle. Well, that's just a shameless name drop. But for Michael Rains, what what better person to get that jingle from than Prince? What? He sold like 150 million albums worldwide. (laughs) Makes sense. Tyler, I want you to reflect on professional school experience here for a moment. Share with us how you changed not only as an umpire, but as a person throughout the progress of that camp? Uh, I changed in my form from my mechanics all the way down to my rule knowledge to uh, just on how I handle myself just in general from being away from everybody in my life for five weeks. It was a changing experience, not just on the field, but definitely off, more off the field than on the field, that's for sure. As in, an, a good <laughs> in a good way. As an umpire, where did you progress the most? Was it on mechanics? Was it on rule knowledge? I feel like I grew the most in mechanics and in uh, 
my rule knowledge kind of equally in the sense that like I was decent on the rule knowledge, but definitely was able to think about everything quicker and all that and remember rules and all this and term using proper terminology. And then I really progressed with my mechanics. So that was like kind of sloppy looking and just like not really crisp. And it was able to help crisp up on mechanics and just felt everything felt more fluid and getting in like you can see the progression from when I started with my plate videos to like when I finished like we all got videos after every bullpen session and the difference is like you can see the difference between night and day from beginning to end so. for us that haven't been there before what do you mean plate videos uh they would set up cameras in the bullpens and okay. so you would get when you got your pitching machine throw throw any pitches you, you got a, a an umpire there evaluating you so like I had or anybody from Ed Hickox to Jordan Baker, Jeremy Rehawk was in there. Stu was in there. Some big names oh, there. Yeah, there's a lot of guys now that are in the MLB. Now I can't think of his name. The umpire who's the most accurate one who just got hired on. He's a fisherman who wanted to go to – he told me he wanted to go slave fishing in Slave Lake because apparently it's really good, and he's from Michigan. That's all I remember. I can't even think of his name now. Anyway, <laughs> it'll come back to me. It's all coming back to me. He threw out um, he's uh, Yelich for uh, taking that step to second after he rounded for after he ran through first. Oh, it just came to me, John Libka. So it must be so neat looking back on that and saying like all these people that are walking around the cage and giving you feedback. It was uh, definitely uh, it was exciting and like awesome to get to know these guys, but it was also a little intimidating too because like. You also want to, they're looking for the next pro guy. So you also want to be like really good and like perfect almost every time. Now we know that you don't have to have umpire experience to go to umpire school. Looking at your class, the people who showed up with experience, did they do better in the end or were there other people that progressed as the course went on? Uh, you could honestly see a shift in the whole school from beginning to end of everybody basically basically everybody progressing there's a few guys that are like lack of a better term meatheads that basically wasted their time being there because they just fought everything and refused to learn but there was guys who were working like little league ball only that went back home and suddenly they're working high school and college ball and there was one guy where like he was just a disaster at the beginning and like not good in any sense and like he started working some high school ball and clearly just needed some teaching and better coaching. And at the end of it, like you would think like the guy was like, uh, like a long time, like college umpire. Like it was incredible. Like he was in his forties and like night and day difference. Like, and he just bought in. Tyler, I think you raise a very great point. Buy in. When you go to an event, a clinic, whatever it is, buy in, maximize the time you're there, especially here in Baseball Canada or even at a local clinic. It doesn't have to be a super clinic. Buy in because you can always learn something. Yeah, like it's actually incredible like what we got for instructing and for teaching and learning in our program. Like down in the States, you don't, you see some of it sometimes, but not a lot compared to what you see here because guys were like just amazed at our clinics and like what we had to offer and all that and like you heard Stu even say, like, Jerry Lane told him straight up, like, I, have you never been to pro camp? And didn't believe him. And he said, no, I've never been to pro camp. He's like, I just, that's just from the program that we run. And it's, yeah. 
It's definitely a testament and kudos to those who put their time and effort into the Baseball Canada umpire program to make it what it is today. Did going to umpire school kind of spark you to want to become a clinician and become that person at the front of the room? Yeah, it was definitely like something I was uh, wanting to move into and uh, and do. And then, uh, yeah, in 2015, I got uh, invited to go to the caravan and learn to become a clinician. <laughs> how much different is it being a clinician compared to learning how to umpire? Oh, man, it's way different. And it's... How? Uh, like, instead of going to school to learn about ball strike safe now you're going to school to learn how to teach how to teach somebody to call ball strike safe as an out it's just a whole different it's a whole different ball game it's <laughs> did i it's it was a stressful few days that's for sure you're not the first person i've heard that from now i gotta ask do you feel being a clinician makes you a better umpire I do. I I feel you see it from a different way, and uh, you definitely the way you explain to uh, explain things to kids. You just I find it just helps you with like when you're teaching, like when you're demonstrating and whatnot. It helps you practice for your mechanics too, and making sure that you're still doing things properly. Because I like to do things properly. Because if a kid sees me at a ballpark one day and is like, Hey, you taught my clinic. I want to see him, him to see that I'm doing the same things that I taught him so that he knows like, Oh, this is, I'm right. doing it right. Good. Because you mentioned the name Corey Davis. You used to look up to him. The reality is people are now looking up to you. Yeah. And it's, it's pretty weird when you walk into a ballpark and kid calls you, Hey Tyler, how's it going? And you recognize the face but don't remember the name because you taught like 300 kids that year (laughs) (laughs) what would be a tip that you would have for somebody who is about to go to a caravan for the first time uh go in with an open mind and just honestly ask another instructor that's been instructing what am i going to expect (laughs) because it's so different than what you're expecting that it's good to at least have a little bit of a baseline knowledge of what's actually going to be taught and what you're going to learn and what you're kind of be expected to do. Now that we've made this segue into Baseball Canada, let's talk about your Baseball Canada works on field. How long have you been part of the Baseball Canada umpire program? Uh, since 2011. So I guess, uh, I guess this would be year 11 of that now. <laughs> you're getting old, man. Uh, I'm not that old. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to make the assumption, I know, but for the guests, for for momentum, you've been to a few national championships? I have. How many? I've been to four. Okay, let's start. Where was the first one? Uh, 2013, it was the Peewee or 13U Atlantics in Fredericton, New Brunswick. Beautiful province. Beautiful province. I didn't see much outside of uh, the three block radius of the ballpark that weekend. Oh, sorry to hear about that. But Fredericton puts on a good show. There's, yeah. Let's not hide this. Yeah, that was a good, well-run tournament, that's for sure. What was the experience like? You've gotten on a plane, you've gone to professional umpire school, but now you're back, you're getting on a plane, and now you're going to umpire. Yeah, so I was a lot of nerves, actually right off the bat and it was just being in a bit of a foreign land we had another alberta umpire and ken mitchell from calgary he was there 
And it was just different because of the fact that like I'm now umpiring a national tournament, but I'm also now umpiring in front of for supervisors that I've never even met. And now I got to umpire in front of them. It's just, I guess it just took a couple of days to get the nerves out of the way. And my roommate, Kevin purchase was, was a really good help for that. And by the end I was uh, first base in the gold medal game. Oh, congratulations. Well, thank you. Now, you mentioned that you were nervous because you were about to umpire in front of supervisors you never met. Think about this for a second. Every time you go to a ball field or a ballpark or a diamond, whatever you want to call it, every time you say play, you're about to umpire in front of somebody you've never met. Good chance. Good chance. Very true. Yeah, that's very true. I think my biggest take, I want to take this time, is my biggest recommendation to anybody going to a national championship is, one, go umpire it as if you typically would because that's how you're going to get feedback on your game. And two, go umpire every game you do, whether it's at a national championship or not, as strong as you can. You're only as strong as your last game. Exactly. Uh, now I'm taking your time away, but I want to put it back on you and let's talk <laughs> Fredericton. You mentioned you're on the gold medal first base. Do you have any memories that really stand out from that tournament, especially your first one? Most people have one from their first one. Uh, nothing no, crazy really know. happened. Uh, no, no. Anything on the biggest, field, off the field? like Off the field. Uh, we all went out for dinner on the Saturday night to get the assignments, and he, uh, Andrew Downs, our lead, made the announcement. They decided to go four umpires for the uh, bronze medal game and then six umpires for the gold medal game. And Ooh. I did a quick math and he had 10 spots and there's only nine umpires. And I was like, I wonder who's getting the two games. And then as soon as I thought it, I was like, I have a feeling it's going to be me. And sure enough, I had the second base in the bronze medal game and then first base in the gold. And so I had to do double duty, but that's pretty cool. Away. Yeah, that was it was pretty cool to get that re recognition, but with the rain delay we had that day, we, uh, we I only got to do what, two innings of the bronze before we had to overlap the gold medal game on the other diamond. And oh, okay, so, yeah. So and then still got to do it. So it was kind of cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool, especially here in Baseball Canada. A lot of associations run two umpire, three umpire systems. Getting that nod at second base is always that like oh that's it's it's a yeah. feather in the cap. Yeah, it's it's fun to get that assignment. It's a different perspective. It's fun. And I think it means that those supervisors trust you to be able to figure out that position the most because none of us are really familiar with it. I'm going to be honest. I don't think I've ever worked a second base. Yeah, I think I only got three, maybe four ever. So, Oh, good for you. Okay, moving on to the next one. You said you had four, so we're, let's go through them. Yeah. Where's your second one? Uh, the next year, 2014, went to Vaughn for the Bantams, the 15U. What and a great tournament that is. What's your opinion of that 15U age group? Uh, honestly, I think it's the best caliber of baseball we, we got. It is. I did the provincial last year, and the baseball is just phenomenal, and the caliber is just really good, and you throw in a fact it's on an 80-foot diamond. just makes it for a lot of fun. I think that's the big thing too. And I think that's what makes it really exciting. It doesn't take anything away from baseball. It's just, mm -hmm. everything's closer and tighter. It's, it's fast. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little different when you got Ontario and they're starting pitchers throwing 86 miles an hour from 54 feet instead of 60 feet, six inches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They, it's getting in there. It's yeah. getting in there and, 
these kids now they, they they can feel like it's it's fast baseball. Yeah, I tell anybody that if you get assigned a 15U championship, be ready to work. And and the cool thing about that tournament is you can still expect the unexpected. They're not perfect. Yeah. They're not as refined, so you're still going to get those fun plays, but it's all going to happen, bang, bang, bang. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's, there's that opportunity there for sure, that weird situation. You're like, why are you going? Where are you running to? And it's the play happens, and you got to umpire it. Okay. Now share with us some of your memories from Vaughn, Ontario. Uh, we got a schedule worked out. Got to go to a couple of Blue Jays games. Oh, uh, that's cool. Had, the hotel was next to a bunch of restaurants. So we, every night we were able to all go out and hang out with the group. And so there'd always be a table for 15 or 16 people. <laughs> and my parents actually came to that tournament too. So that was kind of cool having uh, the ability to actually like get a work in national in front of my parents. So it is real cool. Yeah. Especially since you got to umpire with your father and then now he gets to watch you work a national championship. That's, you know, yeah, that was, that was pretty fun. And the only downside of that tournament is I got sent to the hospital with a, took a foul ball, the mask and oh. I uh, had a possible concussion and yeah, I was sore face for a few days, but I was able to finish the tournament. Thankfully. Oh, thankfully. I'm glad that you're feeling better now and it might be sore, but it's um, still a little bit ugly, but. Won't talk about that. <laughs> Are you sure you were wearing a mask? Yes, I was. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, you're glad you're out of concussion protocol. Let's reflect back on that year. Did you do anything specific to prepare for that 15U national championship? I worked a lot of games. <laughs> I think the number was like 130 something. Oh, okay, that's great. Games that year. At uh, I think probably level? 110 of them were probably before the tournament and then right. going into the tournament. Then, yeah. Did you prepare much at the 15U level, though? Like, how would, uh, how, what would you recommend that, a, an umpire going to a 15U championship? How, how do you approach the season? Work a decent amount of 15U. Definitely some tournament weekends are good ways to do that. Work in the provincial. Right. We make that requirement in Alberta to work that provincial the level you're going. And it's definitely is beneficial That's uh, yep. for everybody. That's the biggest one is just working the games with at that level, just getting used to it. Because 10 feet closer is one less step everywhere, and you got to kind of be used to that and be going into, going into those tournaments. I couldn't agree more, and I couldn't have said it better. So let's just transition. What was your next championship? Uh, in 2017, I worked the uh, 18U in London, Ontario. What was it like going from that 80-foot base path to a 90-foot base path? Uh, it was good. I uh, worked a lot of 18U ball throughout uh, the years after that tournament. So it was normal baseball, I guess now. And it was still good baseball too. That 18U level is great baseball and any baseball in a national championship really is. What were some positive experiences for you at that championship? Yeah, it was the First tournament I worked where I felt like just nothing but confident the whole time and didn't really feel nervous and was just really comfortable with like what I was doing out there and where how I was working and all that. Why do you think that is? I think it's just once again the number of games I worked and making sure I was just knowing what I was going into also and just a little bit better now that I've had two nationals under my belt and a little bit older and I was able to stay cool, calm, and collective and 
And then, yeah, it's just it also helped uh, having the crew we had that week, that weekend was also just really good. So that was another big thing too. Your crew specifically, or just as a a complement or team as a whole? My crew specifically, and the whole group overall. Who like was on your the, crew? So my crew was with Sean Sullivan out of BC and uh, Chris Solarski out of Nova Scotia. Okay, and the coast three of coast. us got along real well. That's the that's the best part. You just show up. You're from different parts of the country, and you're just expected to show up and perform. It's just yeah. so cool. And when it clicks, it clicks. Yeah, and like that's what like that's, uh, anytime you have a maritime run a crew it's going to click i promise you oh yeah they're easy to get along with that's for sure <laughs> now a little cool thing about london i've been told from umpires is that there's a there's a there's a little joint a little good restaurant specific to london i don't know if you know about this place but a real good place uh, for breakfast a real good place for breakfast yeah my dad probably knows because he's from there but i I know of the I have a bar that's pretty famous there. That's pretty good. I'm told there's a there, there, there's a joint that's specific to London. It's called Chorus. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but oh, Chorus, yeah. I've... <laughs> yes, I know Chorus. Everybody knows Chorus. Yes, I, I hear that that might have been a local favorite, and the crews might have went there uh, a few times. Yeah, that definitely did happen. The other thing you mentioned, apart from your crew, was it was a great crew as a whole. Who were some of the other people there that really made that experience memorable? And what did uh, they do to add to those memories? Well, one big thing was how the dorms were all... Uh, we stayed in dorms, okay. and they're all set up to like five, six guys a room. Oh, wow. So and with a common... So you had an individual room, and they had a common living room kitchen area. Okay. So we kind of forced everybody to kind of mingle all the time, which was really helpful. And I thought it was way better than staying in a hotel just based off of that alone. And so like we had like Jeremy Nash and Ryan Garland, uh, uh, who else was there? Jeff Byrne from PEI throw in, uh, no, I can't Christian Brienne from Quebec. Berlin Asham from Manitoba. Berlin Asham, Dean Oberley. No, I can't even think of everywhere else. you go. There has um, to be a fill. Oh, who is that? I'm drawing a blank now, Phil. Phil Bourgeois? Oh, yeah, Phil Bourgeois. <laughs> he was a gold medal plate. <laughs> <laughs> he was a lot of fun, too. Let's just forget about him. <laughs> yeah, let's just, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Phil. No, it's okay. It's only Phil's. And I mean, you got other guys you got there, I think, were what? Wayne Pakla and yeah, a guy by the name of Travis Worms. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Travis. Sorry, Travis. <laughs> <laughs> who, who, who did you say was awesome? Who did I say was awesome? Oh. Wayne Pagla. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a fun, just a fun sense of humor and just a, having a fun time the whole time there. And he just made everything, just everybody comfortable and just made it, kept it loose. It was great. Hey, you need one of those guys everywhere, man. That's the best thing about putting, I don't know, there's a ton of names that you've dropped putting 15, yeah. 20 people together. It's just it's just such a mix that just makes it so memorable. Yeah, I just made it for a really fun tournament and just couldn't have enjoyed it anymore. And London famous for Canadian baseball too. Yeah, at Labatt Park. Labatt Park, what is it, the oldest baseball park in North America or, or in the world? I think it's the oldest baseball grounds in the world. 
Yeah, it's something that they and it's been there's been a game played there consecutively for like a hundred and some years, I think, the last I heard. Yeah, it's I think it's from eighteen I wanna say I think it's from eighteen sixty seven, but I could be mistaken. Eighteen seventy seven. That's when it was, yeah. And it was a neat place to see and it's quite the treat to actually get to work on that field a few times and even the view when you're sitting in the stands looking out towards downtown London, like you get under the lights, like it's just a really nice, like just really nice scenery and just overall just a really great time and a really great park. Yeah, it looks like it. I've never been there, but I've seen lots of pictures and I've heard lots of people talk about it. So yeah, it's definitely uh definitely a real treat if you ever get to work there. It is. Mm. Lots of people will because thankfully there's communities like London that work hard every year to try to secure themselves a national championship. So Good chance throughout your umpiring career that a London championship will pop up somewhere. Okay, now we got three. We got to get to the fourth. Where was number four? Uh, 21U, I guess now 22U in uh, Gatineau, Quebec. Gatineau, Quebec, another community that really tries to put on a national championship as much as they can. Yeah, and they ran a good one too that weekend. It was it was a lot of fun, that's for sure. And it was a... Now, I remember watching some games online or tuning in to people that were there and is there a song that sticks out in your memory? The Tupache. Yeah. The whole weekend. It didn't matter if it was the first game of the weekend or the, the gold medal game, every strikeout didn't matter if you swung or were looking that song played. Oh, wow. It was all the time. And so I think one guy actually had a strike out the side and they played it three times back to back to back. Oh, <laughs> Hey, it's, it sounds goofy in the moment, but here we are three years later, still talking about it. Yeah. Just, that yeah. sound guy that weekend was on point with everything. And I wish more people took put in the effort that he did to make sure it was always like kept everybody engaged, whether when you're brushing the plate off and you could hear a dust buster <laughs> uh, double, double plays would always hear the ding ding from the, uh, like the ring bell. Hey, anytime you can get two outs on one play. Yeah. And, and then, uh, they had a, uh, horn, they had a horn for the home runs, but the only time they only hit one home run during the uh, uh, during the round robin, unfortunately. So we only ever heard it once. No, dear, that's wrong. Twenty-two U and one home run. Yeah, the park and that then, big yeah. was the pitching that. I guess when there's lots of tushpasa, do 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 do. I would definitely say the pitching was better. Was very good that weekend. It was crazy how good the baseball actually was there. I think it's going to get a little bit stronger too, especially expanding the age group to the 22U. Yeah, I think that was a good idea to do that. I think so. I think it's going to keep people engaged in baseball longer too, and I think that's the ultimate goal. Because yeah. a lot of places after 21, there's nowhere to play baseball. And it's going to still be the reality at 22, but I think if you can... There's always a gap in a lot of yeah. places. Like that 22 to 25, you might ride the pine for a couple of years and... If you're trying to get a job, go to school, have a career, baseball might take a back seat for a lot of people. That's why they should come umpire. Yeah, I would totally agree. Now, Tyler, I want you to reflect back on that weekend. I've heard rumors, stories, other guests. 
Did one of the nights run long, or I mean late, into the morning? Yeah, thankfully it wasn't my game, but uh, I think the round robin on the Saturday night ended at uh, about 3.30 a.m. on the Sunday. Gross. And I think we got our Sunday assignments at about 4 a.m., and I was back on the diamond for 8. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and you can actually see the fog rolling in the diamond at that time because it's right off the lake, and it was a really cool, uh, really cool scenery. But it was late. <laughs> I thankfully got my game done earlier in the day, so then I just had to wait for the rain delay. Rain delay? How long did it delay? It seems like every championship you went to, there was a rain delay somewhere. Yeah, actually, there was a rain delay at every championship. <laughs> now oh. I say that, but uh. Move over, Josh Donaldson. You're not the only bringer of the rain. So is Tyler Bourne. Apparently, I guess so. Yeah, it was uh, pretty wild, like, seeing, like, just sitting up and waiting, and we're following the game online, just see where they're at at the hotel, and then eventually we're like, well, why don't we just go over to the ballpark? And we're all sitting there, and there's, like, 20 fans, and it's they're still playing all the music, guys still playing the... Two spots he was still playing it and they were still going strong and saskatoon or saskatchewan sorry was in a must-win game and 3 30 in the morning and he had a super intense ball game going on too and wow i can't even wild. think about trying to umpire a game at three in the morning that had legit implications as this one yeah. did yeah Corey Corey klein was on the plate and just did a phenomenal job and it was really good at handling it all, and even how, for how late it was, you would have never guessed it was at three thirty in the morning when he was when he was working the game. So, what a cool story! What a yeah, it was it was pretty wild. <laughs> <laughs> well, since you've already mentioned it a few seconds ago or a minute ago, whatever it was, time to move on. Ten questions, everyone, the fan favorite here on the leading edge. So, Tyler, I'm going to ask you ten questions. If I like your answer. And if we disagree, pretty simple, right? Yes. What do you think you're going to go for? 10 for 10 or 0 for 10? Or? Uh, based off of uh, listening to previous episodes, I don't think I'm going 10 for 10. <laughs> let's see where we go. Let's, let's, just, let's just, okay, good, good. I like realistic expectations here. Now, you don't have to get this question right, but I just want to hear your prediction. Who's going to win the World Series since baseball is back? That'll be my Boston Red Sox. Wow, you went over and over already. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't take long. My Boston Red Sox. Like anytime I hear Red Sox. Really? What makes really? you like the Boston Red Sox? You're in the middle of Alberta. So my dad, back when I was little, used to go to Boston for work a lot. Okay. He used to always bring back Red Sox stuff. And that's what got me interested in the team. And then I got really interested in 04 when they made the comeback against the Yankees. Oh, yeah. The year that they were on steroids, but nobody wanted to talk about it. But if the Red Sox are on steroids, it's okay. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone yeah. else is getting booted for steroids. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know that the Red Sox, in my humble opinion, they've won four. Let's give them credit. They've won four World Series now since the new millennium, starting yep. in 04. Yep. Hear me out. Steroids in four, steroids in seven. They were there. And then they were beating garbage cans like the Houston Astros in 2018. So? How come? Yeah, they can only do it if they cheat. Biggest cheaters in the game, my opinion. Everyone gave nah. Houston a hard time. Yeah, but 03, 04, 05, 06, you can go to 2, 1, like down to 2000. They all had steroids. Yeah, I can tell you, my Blue Jays were not on steroids. 
there is not a chance they were on steroids. Everyone else yeah. was. You know how I know? Because they lost. Yeah, because they lost. <laughs> so, hey, cleanest organization in the league. You can at least brag about that one. Nobody, yeah. nobody wants to let Bonds or McGuire in the Hall of Fame, but there's a reason why Holiday got in, because he wasn't on steroids. Okay, since we're talking baseball is back, I don't think this guy's been on steroids. Question of the day today, it hasn't, there's been no announcement, but where's Freddie Freeman going to sign? Uh, not Toronto. Yeah, we know that, okay? We know. We know there's been I, some moves. Where do you think, though, honestly? Do you think the Red Sox are in it to win it? Uh, I haven't really paid too much attention. I think I'm going to take a wild card and go to Chicago White Sox. Hmm. I like that wild card. Put him in the AL Central. Yep. I don't think you're wrong. No. Of course, a lot are going to disagree, but the White Sox have Jose Abreu only locked up to the end of 2022, and I think they have some room at the DH for him. Personally, I would support if yeah. he goes to the Miami Marlins so he doesn't beat up on the Blue Jays. Yeah, <laughs> no. I guess we'll see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think the honest question right now is the Red Sox are in desperate need of a left-handed hitter. That's what it is. They need one. They've lost Kyle Schwarber. Yeah. Yeah. They Red Sox need a left-handed bat. Yep. That's it. That's the rant. We We know that L.A. really wants Freeman. Wouldn't call the Dodgers a dynasty. They won a World Series in 60 games. Like, big deal. Yeah, I yeah. said it. People are going to disagree with me, but... I'd agree. I, I, I said with it. I, I think the Red Sox could be in it to win it for, for Freddie yeah. Freeman. And, of course, I, the Yankees are there, but... Hal Steinbrenner was just talking about how poor he is and how tough of a season it's been the past two years on their books because they couldn't play as much, and I'm just like, shut up. Yeah, kind of falling on deaf ears there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm the poorest billionaire on the block. <laughs> like it's like Mr. Burns. They do the math and find out he's $998 million. Hey, he's not allowed to be in here anymore. He's only worth $996,036,000. dollars <gasps> He's not a billionaire at all. Oh, don't worry. You'll feel a lot more comfortable in the... Millionaires can. No, no, just kill me now. How to do? I own a minor league hockey team. Oh, 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 oh. oh man, who doesn't love a real good Simpsons reference? Okay, we got to move on from the 90s, though. If you could have any opportunity to meet any celebrity, who would it be? Uh, Ryan Reynolds. I wouldn't give you the bell as much as if I didn't have this discussion with my wife the other day. And I'm like, why does everybody like Ryan Reynolds? And it's cool. I'm not bashing him. That's, he does what he does. I just don't like his movies. I do it more for the stuff he's done on social okay. media. And the, nice guy, the nice guy, kind of like the Freddie Freeman yeah. smile. He has yeah, that like perfect super chill. Yeah. grinded teeth. Okay, fair enough then. Good good, good for you. you I can, have, I have play not... Freddie Freeman in a baseball movie. You know what? That would be the guy. He has the yeah, teeth. Yeah, it like, would be. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What a great reference. You know what? We should pitch that one. Yes, we should. You heard it here first. Yeah, yeah. You heard it here first in Leading Edge. If Freddie Freeman needs an actor, Ryan Reynolds is your man. Yep. Okay, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> you redeemed yourself. It was coming eventually. Ooh. You get to be like this celebrity actor or whatever. You've been asked to star in a Super Bowl commercial. One, what company would you want to be in a commercial for? And two, pitch me a quick idea of what that commercial would be. 
Oh man. Uh definitely would have to do the Bud Light ones because that's usually always the the best commercials. Okay. And I wouldn't even know where to begin of how to make that funny. Okay, you're going with tradition. There was a delay there. You're going with tradition. But let's be honest with our listeners. Budweiser is always the one that's really like heart touching, you know, with the horses and the puppies and Yes. So you don't have to be funny. Like you, you're gonna come in riding the Clydesdale or but I said Bud Light, not Budweiser. Oh yeah, it's oh yeah, Bud Light, that's the old one like what's up? Yeah, that one or the uh it gives you the ability to breathe fire and sets the house on fire. Fair enough then. So the corn syrup is the best one. So I, I take it you're a fan of comedy movies then, are you? Yes. This isn't a question, but it's because you're wearing a sweater. Who's your favorite NFL team? The Green Bay Packers. I couldn't hit that button quick enough. Yeah, I believe it. What's your opinion on the Rodgers contract? Uh, a little bit much, but I'm. If, I think they can make it work and they'll be okay. A little rich, though, for a guy that just can't finish. Still, uh, still had an MVP year. Like got knocked out even tom brady is like you know what you want to make a lot of money i'll come back and steal your boat and steal the glory he's over the hill too i think tom brady come back just despite aaron Rodgers. was kind of like ha psych man gotcha uh, that is possible i think there's a feud there that we just don't know about yes tom brady is like the freddie freeman and the per- and the ryan reynolds perfect smile but there's some competition bad blood between them every time they play each other tom brady takes it to another level you always see it just when it's, you don't think Tom doesn't have another level, he just does. Yeah, he somehow finds a way. It's going to be interesting, though. I think Tom just had six weeks at home, got to hang out with his wife and kids, and says, you know what? I'd sooner get hit by 320-pound linemen than sit yeah. at home with these guys. Yeah. <laughs> I can't take credit for that. I've seen that on social media, and I've shared it a couple of times. But I I, I believe it's, the theory. It's- it's totally true. I think it's 100% true. And I've done my own research, and I firmly believe the theory on this one. Yeah. Question five. If any animal could talk, which one would you pick? Giraffe. Now, I didn't expect that one. Never met a giraffe. Maybe you have. But it'd be interesting if we walked down the street and saw one talking. Yeah. Why'd you pick a giraffe? Long neck, you put a funny hat on their head, and they're to be just automatically hilarious. And they already don't make a sound, so I might as well give them a voice. They don't make a sound? Their giraffes don't make a sound, no. Holy gee, look at this biology lecture you're putting on here on the leading edge. I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't either until I, I, uh, I didn't learn that either until I saw like a post on Facebook or something like that, I think. Father did his own research. <laughs> The biology I'm, university. I'm of certain it's true. <laughs> yeah, I hope it's true. Now he's googling it. Yeah, I'll search it. <laughs> That's him. That's the noise of him looking. Literally just walking sounds. <laughs> walking sounds. Wow, that's interesting. Again, drafts don't make a sound. You learned that here. Okay, so. Yep, you can just hear. Wouldn't they make a really good manager? Yeah, they would. <laughs> Just poke the head out of the dugout to yell at the umpire. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> Who put a funny hat on that draft? <laughs> what a great post game. When yeah. the draft talks to you, you know you've had a bad game. Yeah. <laughs> okay. He never extends his neck out of the dugout. What are you doing? 
Okay, moving on. What's your favorite band or artist? My favorite band? Definitely have to go with Garth Brooks. Now you're just trying to pick answers that are going to win. But well, I, 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 I actually do really like Garth Brooks. Oh, wait. Well, since you're striving for redemption, you got to share with us, what's your favorite song? The Beaches of Cheyenne. Oh, yeah. Really like that one. Right off the album Fresh Horses. Oh, love it. Yeah. I actually think that's one of his better albums that doesn't get a lot of credit, but that's a whole nother day. I actually had his greatest hits album in my uh, last car that I... Uh, on cassette? On C- it was a CD, and it was... I definitely listen to that instead of the radio almost oh. every day. Little Garth Brooks, never heard a person. Nope, never. Doesn't have to be Garth Brooks related, but the seventh question, you get one song to karaoke to save the world. What song are you karaokeing it? There's only one answer. Bohemian Rhapsody. Going to give you credit if that's what's going to save the world. I don't think I could pull it off, but if you're going to nail it on karaoke, I'd love to see it. Uh, we did it one time, and we actually started a mosh pit during the guitar solo. There's all the guys in the bar got up and did it. <laughs> that's that's impressive. Alcohol may have been involved. Making it work. Okay, you go to a party. There's a meat and cheese platter out there. What are you grabbing first, the meat or the cheese? Oh, the meat. Looking for like little sausages or salamis oh. or what's your go-to? Ah, uh, the kubasa. Tasty. Oh, Salty yeah. and bitter. Now, I know that you do enjoy a little cooking, a little mixing with flavors here and there, but you get the chop opportunity to cook for, you know, what, prime minister, president, I don't know, somebody big and famous because we're talking famous people all day. What is your go-to dish? I would either have to cook my uh, beef short rib or my maple bacon pork chop. Maple bacon because it's Canada. Yeah. Now, your beef short rib, what's your secret? Really simple. It's throw everything in a pot and throw in the oven for three and a half hours. That's it. And Yeah, there's really nothing much to it. Uh, brine the uh, short ribs for a day first. That's the only thing. Okay. It makes it way more tender. Just doing a salt brine. Throw it in the bottle, uh, throw it in water and salt and put it in the fridge and you're good to go. 100%. Mm. Suck all the excess blood out and makes it that much better. And I'm going to take your word for it. So email me the recipe. I will do that. And then we'll put it in the show description here on the leading edge. Short ribs, brined. Yeah. Question 10. One of the reasons why I wanted you to come on the show. I'm told you have a history of sharpening hockey skates. One. Yes. Who's one of the most successful players skates that you've ever sharpened, if any. And two. I've had lots of people reach out to me since the last episode with Craig Burt, where we talked about skate radiuses and skate blade hollows. Can you quickly elaborate on, you know, expand the knowledge on that for our listeners? Pretty standard that uh, when when I worked, a pretty standard was five eighths on uh, five eighths of an inch because it's all about circle. We were actually having players go to an inch and all the way up to an inch and a half, and what it does is it flattens out your blade, so you sit up out of the ice. And so I was actually at inch and a half, and I can take two strides and I can go the length of the ice, and it just allows you to glide so much nicer. And you still have a strong edge, and they last longer too. Now, can you make a turn? Is it more difficult to make a turn? Nope. Once you get used to it, you're fine. Okay. Well, you can't just go right to an inch and a half. You're gonna have trouble. But if you ease up eighth of an inch increments, or even quarter inch in some signs, you you're 
you're on the right path. Why would you have trouble? Definitely feels not as sharp if you're not used to it. Yep. So it just definitely feels duller as you go. But once you get used to it, you don't even notice the difference. The sharpness will last longer. Yeah, because like you got the shorter edges on the side. So like they're less likely to take uh, damage and less likely to wear down over time from between sharpenings. What what I'm hearing is they're flatter. If an edge, you lose an edge on a certain piece, it's not as detrimental. Correct. Learning Mm -hmm. something here. I'm glad we get to talk about this Canadian aspect of stuff. You know, hockey skates, it's a big deal. What radius of edge do you use on your plate shoes? Huh. Yeah. Uh, no, he got me. Bonus point. Good, good, good listening skills. Thanks. Uh, a couple of players I uh, sharpened over the years is Caden uh, Gooley. Well, I guess for one season I sharpened skates, but uh, yeah, Caden Gooley was the captain for the world junior team. Uh, his brother Brendan, who also plays for Anaheim. Uh, I think Mark Pissa came in there. Blair Betts. Uh, I think Carter Hart was even a customer. He's a goalie for the Flyers now. Yeah. Is it quite a contingent from Sherpark? Park? A little more difficult to sharpen goalie skates. Is it is there any difference to it? Yeah, definitely uh definitely different motion, keeping they gotta go longer, uh with a longer blade and whatnot, but overall it's not too bad. Just gotta keep a steady hand the whole way through rather than kind yeah. of rounding it off. Yeah. And the new goalie skates are almost like player skates these days, too. Yeah, pretty much. Couldn't believe how light they were. Yeah, and the boots are different. The blades are different. I mean, I remember growing up looking at goalie skates like there was no no question. You could tell the difference between a goalie skate and a player skate. Now I yeah. think you just if you look at them from afar, you'd think they're player skates on yeah on some of them. And then of course not to get up close and they have no heel gird, but cool. Thanks yeah. for that. Thanks for sharing all that uh, fun no skate sharpening facts. Again, yeah. from biology class. Now I think what industrial mechanics, or we could call it now. Like, you know, if you can get a Facebook degree, you can get a leading edge degree here eventually if you tune in at the right time. Yeah, the next segment of the show we like to call Local Legends. It's where we give the guests the opportunity to share with us somebody who is giving back to their community in baseball, whether it be officiating or minor baseball. Tyler, who's somebody that's really giving back in your area? Uh, he's running the shirt. He's the general manager now for Sherpark Park baseball. That's uh, Josh Bishop. He is a longtime coach and he's just been around the association for a number of years and eventually went from coaching to being on the board and was president and eventually took over general managing and like doing a lot of the excess work that people don't really want to do and just making sure this association just runs really well. And he was a big help for me and a big help for everybody. And he's just a great guy to see around the park and always there, just smile his face, happy, to, happy as he can be to be doing the job. Josh Bishop from Sherwood Park. Just like London, Ontario, Gatineau, Quebec, the communities that put in to make baseball great. You got people like Josh Bishop giving back to the game of baseball. So thank you, Josh Bishop, for being a local legend here in the leading edge and giving your time, effort, and energy to making baseball great in Canada. Well, Tyler, that essentially concludes this episode of The Leading Edge. I would like to take this time to thank you for coming on and sharing with us some of your stories and memories and advice from along the way. Now, one of the last things we like to do here in The Leading Edge is we like to give you, the guest, the opportunity to part with what we call wise words of wisdom and some tips for new and younger umpires coming up. So, Tyler... What would you like to be known as for your wise words of wisdom? When a 
clinician offers you their phone number at a clinic or a, uh, a email address and you have a question throughout the season, actually email and call them. Cause like they, when they give that to you, they're literally telling you, we want to help you. And I wish I did that sooner than when I did. I got two. The biggest one is making sure uh, for the assigner, if you want to start getting better assignments, be the one to make the phone call and they'll start giving you the better assignments because they'll see that you actually want to be there. Well, that concludes this episode of The Leading Edge, where we talk with umpires about umpiring and look to cover topics on both sides of the plate. Join us on future episodes where we look to bring on baseball umpire equipment gurus, former Olympians, professional umpires, administrators, and umpires and supervisors who are attending the 2022 Baseball Canada National Championships. Now, before you go, we would like to leave you with this. There's a common rule myth that people believe if the coach touches the runner, the runner is out. Our question is, who's out if the runner touches the coach? Take care, everybody, and stay safe.